Peace be upon you. Here is a very interesting paradox. In order for two people to transact, they have to disagree on the value in order to agree on a price. Take, for example, two parties that want to transact. One party has a bag of oranges and is asking for $5 for that bag of oranges. The party that wants to purchase that uh, bag of oranges values the oranges more than they value the $5, while the person selling the oranges values the $5 more than they value the oranges. And it's because of this disagreement that they settle on the price of $5. If they both valued the oranges or the $5 the same, the two parties would not transact. It's only because of this disagreement between the two parties that a price can be mutually agreed upon for the exchange to take place. The reason a transaction is achieved is because the purchasing party values the product more than the money they are spending to purchase that product, while the selling party values the money more than the product they are selling. God informs us in the Quran that the requirement for any transaction is that it's mutually accepting for both parties. Therefore, if no one is being forced into their position and thus not being exploited, then the transaction should be deemed lawful. In Surah 4 verse 29, we read, O you who believe, do not consume each other's properties illicitly. Only mutually acceptable transactions are permitted. So as long as both parties are mutually accepting in that transaction and no one's property is being illicitly taken, then the transaction should be deemed lawful. And this actually allows a society to prosper by creating markets because a market is the most efficient way for parties to trade in order to maximize their personal value, their personal satisfaction in partaking in that market. Here's a simple example. This was from Planet Money. Uh, they did this experiment with seventh graders. They grabbed a group of seventh graders and they arbitrarily gave them pieces of candy. And then they had the, the uh, students rate how much they liked their candy on a scale of zero to 10. Zero being that they despised the candy, 10 being they absolutely loved the candy. And what they found out was after they got the scores from all the uh, students, the average score was five, meaning that on average, the uh, students like their candy on a scale of 0 to 10, a score of 5. Then they told the students, hey, we're allowing you to trade with one another. So therefore, if you don't like your candy that much and you prefer someone else's candy and they want to transact, you guys can transact and trade. So after a trade took place, they went and asked the students to rate how much, how satisfied were they with their candy again on a scale of 1 to 10, or sorry, 0 to 10. And what they found out is that the scores went from a 5 to 8.3. I mean that people were a lot more happy and satisfied with their candy once they were allowed to trade. The only reason this experiment had the outcome it did is because each participant had their own desired brand of candy that they preferred. It is because of these differences in the values that each person had towards their respective candy that they compared to the candy they wanted that allowed the market to form. So it's only because these students had different preferences towards candies that allowed them to optimize their overall satisfaction. If all the uh, students viewed the candy the exact same, no one would trade. But it showed that once you allowed market forces, that there's going to be a disparity in how in each individual valued their candy. And when they're allowed to trade, the overall satisfaction of the group improved. Now, let's say the objective was not satisfaction. 
let's say the objective was how to create the most fair outcome. How would you go about conducting this experiment? Because this is what a lot of people argue. They say it's not about the overall satisfaction, it's about fairness. If you attempted to conduct this experiment based on fairness alone, you could try to give everyone the same piece of candy. But the reality is because we saw not everyone valued the candy the same, meaning that two people could have the same piece of candy, but one would like that candy, one wouldn't. Therefore, that wouldn't be fair. The only fair outcome would be if no one had any candy to transact at all. So if fairness was the top objective of this experiment, how to create a scenario where the students were all treated absolutely fairly, you see that the best outcome for that is that none of the students should have got any candy. And this becomes at odds with overall satisfaction. Because if you ask the student who didn't like their candy, if they had to choose between having that candy or not, they would probably prefer to have that candy, even though if they didn't like it all that much. But when you take that option off the table, then you have a fair outcome. Now, this seems absurd, but what we see more often than not is a lot of times individuals, they will take options off the table strictly out of the argument because it's not fair. And this actually leaves people worse off. Now, you might be thinking, who's doing such a thing? Who would want to leave people worse off in the uh, quest for fairness? And I'll give you three examples. The first one is that of minimum wage. The argument typically made for minimum wage is that workers deserve a basic threshold of compensation for the work so they can afford the cost of living in society. Now, this sounds noble and it sounds fair and it sounds just, but when the government sets a minimum price for hour of work, all that happens are those workers who cannot um, get a company, a business to pay them that minimum threshold are taken out of the market. Let's say, for instance, the minimum wage is set to $15 an hour. In my experience, my level of competency only justifies someone paying me $10 an hour. So out of being fair, what they've done is they've eliminated me out of the workforce because now no one can pay me $10 an hour because which business, if I can only provide $10 an hour worth of quality uh, to a company, to a business, to someone to hire me, why would they pay me $15? They would be at a negative to do so. So therefore, the fair outcome is to not allow me to work, not allow the individuals who are below that threshold of $15 an hour to be able to transact, to be able to work. Is that fair? Is that really a better solution? Doesn't it make more sense for the individual to decide for themselves if saying, hey, look, is $10 an hour worth my time or not? Because if they're alternative is not to have a job, not to be able to work, then they end up being worse off. Or take another example right now with uh, pharmaceutical drugs. Uh, governments are making the case that they need to set the prices for these drugs because it's unfair for individuals not to be able to afford such life-saving treatments. Now, what do you think the pharmaceutical company is going to do? And I'm not a, a fan by any means of big pharma, but this is just a reality. They're just not going to develop those drugs. What's the point? If you cannot recoup your costs, your expenses for developing a drug, why would you risk all that capital, all that time uh, for such an endeavor? So all that happens is those drugs that are priced out of the market never get developed. And this is supposed to be more fair for the society. Now, if someone's willing to pay the extra money in order to get that treatment, 
Shouldn't that be on them? Why does the government need to intervene in order to block that transaction? And again, this, these are in the context of mutually acceptable, where no one's being exploited. People are willing to pay that money happily in order to get that treatment. A last example is that of rent control, where again, uh, local governments, they set a threshold on how much a landlord is allowed to charge for rent. What happens in these societies when the government does this? All that happens are those properties that are under rent control. They stop being maintained by the uh, uh, landlords because what's the point? You're losing money literally having these properties available. You'll see there's plenty of these uh, cities, New York City, San Francisco, where these buildings are left vacant because there is no incentive on maintaining them and getting them up to code for people to rent out because the amount of money they generate is less than the amount of, uh, the amount of money uh, is needed to maintain these properties. And what happens from developers? Are developers going to uh, develop more low-income housing? No, they develop luxury housing that isn't affected by rent control. So now you have this glut in the market of luxury housing and not enough low-income housing. Why? It's because the government intervened to try to create a more fair system. But all they did is they victimized the individuals who need these low-income housing the most. Notice that in all three outcomes, the fair solution was achieved by eliminating the people's freedom to make a choice, such that people who cannot justify an employer paying them a minimum wage, their solution is not to have a job, or for life-saving drugs or treatments that are too expensive to not be created, or for developers to not create more low-income housing because they cannot justify renting it out at such a low price. This is no different than the candy experiment. In deciding in order to, for the outcome to be fair, we will just take the candy away from all the participants. This is not only unfair, but leaves everyone worse off. The reality is that we each may put a different value on different things in life. And as long as no one is being exploited and people are free to choose, then any form of government intervention will only leave people in a worse condition than before they got involved. This is one of the many problems when individuals get too fixated on fairness and not enough on individual satisfaction. It's inevitable that people value things differently. Someone who values money is going to have a different priority in their life than someone who values family. These are all trade-offs we make and it doesn't make it unfair. It just shows the priorities in each person's life. Today, people often point to the delta in wealth as a sign that this free market has gone too far and it's time for the government to intervene, to bring back fairness into society. And usually to make this argument, people will point to, you know, Jeff Bezos, whose uh, net worth is now $200 billion, or Elon Musk, Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, who each have a net worth of close to $100 billion. But the question is twofold. Did these individuals acquire this wealth through nefarious means? Or is their wealth to the detriment of the people in society? Regarding the first question, I don't think anyone has any doubt that Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, these individuals contributed vastly into society. They have provided millions of people with employment, with an income, with livelihood. They've created millions of millionaires and tons of businesses who run off their ecosystems. You think about how many people... Uh, entire business is developed around the solutions that these individuals have created. So they didn't go get their wealth 
through nefarious means. They didn't go and pillage and uh, use government graft or rent-seeking in order to uh, uh, make their money. They did it by providing happy customers. So to the second question, is there wealth to the detriment of others? One of the inevitable outcomes of societies where individuals can legitimately increase their wealth is that you're going to have greater disparities between the rich and the poor. This is just the outcome. If you think about back when we were all hunters and gatherers, the delta in inequality was much less because we were all equally poor. It's only when you create markets and you allow people to trade that you're going to see deltas in wealth because some people are going to save, some people are going to spend, some people are going to work hard and accrue wealth, other people are going to use it frivolously or be lazy and do nothing. And we see this reflected throughout history. Societies where individuals were able to be the wealthiest through fair market uh, practices always correlated with those societies thriving the most. And the societies that have historically have the lowest disparity between the rich and the poor tend to be always those societies where everyone is equally poor. This is the same outcome as the simple experiment. When you eliminate trade from people and everyone is just left to their own devices, you'll see that everyone is going to be equal, but everyone's going to be equally poor because they don't have the provisions in order to benefit themselves. Another example is also from the uh, podcast Planet Money. This one aired on January 20, 2012, and it's entitled The Secret Document That Transformed China. And it's about the first collective in China that legitimately created a market for the grain that they produced. So historically in communist China, people were allocated how much grain they were allowed to produce and anything extra, all of it had to go to the state. So people were not incentivized to develop anything more than what they were capable of. Now, you had some farmers who clearly could, but what was the incentive if they knew that the government was going to confiscate anything they made? So this collective made a secret pact, and they said that they will produce what the government quota was, but anything extra they produce, they're going to trade amongst each other. And if they were to be caught, they would have been killed. But they proceeded forward with this, and this was the very start of economic prosperity in China where today you have over hundreds of millions of people who have been lifted outside of poverty because they were allowed to form markets and trade with one another. Now, prior to China's opening up of markets, the people historically were a lot more equal. They were all equally poor. They were all equally despondent. Uh, you read these horror stories of the famine, the starvation, uh, the cannibalism that took place because people were starving to death. You realize that despite being fair, that everyone was the same, they were all equally poor, they were all astronomically worse off. Now, today, you have some of the richest individuals in China. Uh, you have some of the, uh, the fastest growing prosperity in anywhere in the world. But the reality is that now the delta is going to be more between the rich and the poor. But does that mean that the people are worse off now than they were before? Absolutely not. Having markets and allowing people to decide for themselves what it is that they value, what is it that they want to pay a price for, is actually part of God's system. To try to eliminate disparities between the rich and the poor is something that's going against the very nature that God has designed. In Surah 43, verse 32, it says, They are the ones who assigned your Lord's mercy. We have assigned their shares in this life, raising some of them above others in ranks in order to let them serve one another. The mercy from your Lord is far better than any material they hoard. This is part of the test in this world, is that we are set to different ranks. 
Some people are going to be rich. Some people are going to be poor. Some people are going to have a lot. Some people are going to have a little. And the question is, how do these individuals prioritize their priorities in this world? And this is part of the test. God tells us in Surah 17, verse 18, it says, anyone who chooses this fleeting life as his priority, we will rush to him what we decide to give him. Then we commit him to Gehenna, where he suffers forever, despised and defeated. As for those who choose the hereafter as their priority and work righteousness while believing, their efforts will be appreciated. For each one of them we provide. We provide for those and these from your Lord's bounties. Your Lord's bounties are inexhaustible. Note how we preferred some people above others in this life. The differences in the hereafter are far greater and far more significant. This is part of God's system, is that we have different ranks. We have different uh, uh, wealth. Some people, again, they're going to have a lot. Some people are going to have a little. The question is, what do we prioritize in this life? And how do we use God's provisions? Are we using them to only better ourselves in this world or for the hereafter? And this is an independent choice that each person has to make. We get too fixated with what other people have. And we're only seeing part of the story. Take the example of Karun. He had so much wealth, so much uh, treasures that people were envious of him. And it only led to his destruction. In Surah 28, verse 76, we read, Karun, the slave driver, was one of Moses' people who betrayed them and oppressed them. We gave him so many treasures that the keys thereof were almost too heavy for the strongest band. His people said to him, do not be so arrogant. God does not love those who are arrogant. Use the provisions bestowed upon you by God to seek the abode of the hereafter without neglecting your share in this world. Be charitable as God has been charitable towards you. Do not keep on corrupting the earth. God does not love the corruptors. He said, I attained all this because of my own cleverness. Did he not realize that God annihilated before him generations that were much stronger than he, greater in number? The annihilated transgressors were not asked about their crimes. One day, he came out to his people in full splendor. Those who preferred this worldly life said, Oh, we wish that we possess what Karun has attained. Indeed, he is very fortunate. Here's people glorifying him because of his wealth. In Surah 28, verse 80, it continues, it says, As for those who were blessed with knowledge, they said, Woe to you! God's recompense is far better for those who believe and lead a righteous life. None attains this except the steadfast. And it continues in Surah 28, verse 81, it reads, We then caused the earth to swallow him and his mansion. No army could have helped him against God. He was not destined to be with the winner. Those who were envious of him the day before said, Now we realize that God is the one who provides for whomever he chooses from among his servants and withholds. If we're not for God's grace towards us, he could have caused the earth to swallow us too. We now realize that the disbelievers never succeed. So when we get too fixated with the amount God has bestowed upon others, just remember that this, one, is a test for them, and two, it might be to their detriment. This reminds me of a joke where two economists are walking and uh, they see this uh, 1969 fully restored uh, red Mustang uh, for sale. And one of the economists says, oh, I really want that car, which the other economist says, laughs and says, no, you don't. And the takeaway from this is if you really want that thing, then you would put all your emphasis, all your uh, time, energy towards it. But as believers, we realize we have priorities. Our priority firstly is to God. That, yeah, there's going to be individuals they are going to be chasing the vanities, the materials of this world. And by all means, if they're able to obtain that and use that in righteousness, then more credit for them. But realize that this is an immense test, that this might be all these individuals get in this world, and they'll have no share in the hereafter. To bring this full circle, 
In order for two people to mutually transact, they have to disagree on value in order to agree on a price. And this shows that we each have different values we assign to different aspects of our life. One person is going to value their career. One person is going to value their relationships. One person is going to value God. One person is going to value the material possessions of this world. And this is each person's own decision. And based on this discrepancy in value, can we transact? And this leaves us, as a society, much better off and a lot more satisfied. So when governments intervene, mutually acceptable transactions where no one is being exploited by justifying that this is a more fair solution, realize all they're doing is leaving the individuals in that society a lot less satisfied by taking these options off the table. God willing, we're going to end there. If you guys got comments or questions, please hit us up at QuranTalk at gmail.com. If you guys want to follow along the verses of the Quran, please download the Quran Study app on the iOS app store. We also have the QuranStudyApp.com website, where in both cases, you can look at the translation of the Quran along with a word-for-word literal breakdown of the Arabic of the Quran. And uh, if you like the podcast, please Let other people know, leave us a review, and until next time, peace and God bless.